the one thing that I'm kind of coping with and that's helping me cope with things well at the moment is life's pretty good like be grateful for what you have and, and enjoy the people that are around you and uh, and who knows what, what you're capable of at the end of the day that was Terenza Bazzoni and this is Doug the podcast Welcome to episode 61 of Dug It with Terenzo Bazzoni. What a name. It's a superhero name, isn't it? It's got that pastor lineage or <laughs> kind of flavor to it and, it. and he does have the Italian lineage, Terenzo, but he is Kiwi through and through. And for those who don't know him, he's a five times world champion. Just let that land for a second. Five times world champion. He's one of the 30 international races. He competes primarily in Ironman and half Ironman distance now, but formerly was in triathlon, duathlon, swimming. He is just a world-class athlete, a father, a husband, an inspirational guy. And I grew up with Terenzo, not literally, but we were the same age. And so I followed his progress closely. I love triathlon and multi-sport and cycling myself, so I was always interested to see Kiwis on the world stage. And it was... um. Really heartbreaking to see Terenzo in a horrific crash last year where he suffered severe facial and head injuries. And so it's so great to see him back to his best and to hear his story. I've had a serious bike crash myself and a couple of near-death experiences and it can really you know, change your worldview and give you some new perspective and insights. And I love how Terenzo's kept the gratitude, the inspiration to keep training, to keep getting better. And in fact, after his crash, Kona, which is really the pinnacle of Ironman, the Kona race was only three months away and that was his real goal. He wanted to get straight back to being the best in the world. And although he didn't make Kona, he won his first couple of races out of the box in Australia. And he's just been on a real surge in terms of form before the crash and he's getting straight back there. Um, so it was so neat to catch up with Terenzo to hear his story, what he's working on now, his little tips and tricks. I know if you're into triathlon, multi-sport, just being a better athlete, there'll be plenty in there for you. And if you're just into life, there'll be lots of goodies in there as well. We recorded this one at Orphan's Kitchen, so there's a nice little cafe scene vibe and a few dishes going in the background. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah, shout out to Orphan's. Amazing food, best spot for lunch, dinner podcast in the city um but love you all for listening really appreciate it i'm sure we get plenty out of it without further ado here is the man himself mr Terenzo bazzoni enjoy cool so for those who haven't heard of you which uh <laughs> i guess every industry is so niche isn't it um but what would you say you, you do? Like, I'm like LMP, world famous on the North Shore. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a professional triathlete. I yeah. kind of got into into triathlon in high school and uh, after high school did a couple of years of physiotherapy at university and discovered then my, I guess, that I was somewhat good at triathlon and could make a living out of it and yeah, progressed into racing full time. And yeah, 34 years old now, so I've been been doing it a while. I'm, although I feel quite young in the sport, so I guess I've probably been around longer than longer than most of the people who are still racing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, love it. 
because I I um actually first came across you when I played against Rangi Toto. Yeah. And football. <laughs> and you, I think you were the head boy at the time. Yeah. And you were, was it duathlon um, age group champion or? Uh, yeah, yeah, junior world champion. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Jeez, um, that felt like a lifetime ago. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember I was like, well, this guy's like on the world stage and uh, and just looked like a stud. And I was like, well, I have to. F-. And so I've kind of Cheers, followed dog. you. Cheers. <laughs> um, since then, but I was interviewed Max Baxter the other day, who's like our top up and coming runner. And I was like, in New Zealand, you play so many sports. And I was like, how did you get into just running? Was it, were you like into football and everything else and then suddenly won a few races or or how did you get into just the try kind of? Yeah, um, well, roundabout story. So I, uh, I swam competitively. So I was, I was 13. My swimming was going pretty good. I was uh, like national age group champion for breaststroke. Yeah. And that summer we were on holiday at Waihee Beach, which is uh, three or two and a half hours south of Auckland. Yeah. And um, yeah, we'd go wakeboarding in the morning and go surfing in the afternoon. And uh, yeah, on one of the, the the wakeboarding expeditions, I um, tried to do a backflip and landed on my head and burst my eardrum. Oh, um, so. F- Eventually, after after it never like the hole in my eardrum didn't heal, so uh, the the specialist decided we'll go and have an opera, we'll do an operation and, and fix up the hole. Uh, ended up being a seven-hour operation, and when I came out of the op, he said, "Look, we just need to give it a bit of time, so no no swimming, no getting wet for a few months." And yeah. um, and that was kind of the end of my swimming career, which was which was a blessing in disguise. I was kind of over the 10 sessions uh, times mm. times two hours every day and looking at that black line um, but I I probably did have a little bit of like ADD or something uh, something had I just had too much energy and I needed something <laughs> to channel that energy and uh, that's when I started doing duathlon so run bike run uh, but at the stage I was, I was still kind of doing everything I played tennis played soccer uh, I love playing sport and just it was a really good channel for my energy um, and my parents just basically Whatever opportunities we wanted, they kind of made sure those opportunities were, were available for us. And, mm. and that's when, yeah, so the duathlon started. I uh, started racing around the world and, and doing okay there. Um, and when I was allowed swimming again, just progressed into triathlons. And, and even then, I still dabbled in other sports a little bit. Um, yeah, played, played tennis a little bit through high school. Um, surfed, uh, skateboarded, snowboarded a little bit. Um, but yeah, as you get older, you realize... Uh, well, the energy levels kind of dwindled down a little bit and you also realise how fragile your body is so you kind of uh, you try and just yeah, keep it aligned to what, 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 what you're doing and I, and I think it, it's um, interesting how you can transition from those shorter races and then you can kind of peak for Ironman and some of those longer events like much later in life as well like you're transitioning now to like you're saying focusing on Kona yeah. doing a few half um, and you had an amazing season before your crash, winning like yeah. a, lo- a lot of races <laughs> in both in both disciplines. Yeah. Um, like so, is that is that where you're heading now? More to be in a full Ironman specialist? Yeah. So Ironman is kind of where 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 my head's at. My my goal is to win the Ironman World Championships, which is kind of one of the things I haven't really ticked off. And yeah. um, a couple of years ago, I finished sixth over on the island in, in Hawaii, which is the World Champs. Oh, that's quite loud, isn't I'm it? I'm to edit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we were... Um, I'll yeah. Edit, edit that out or I'll be a surprise <laughs> for the listeners. <laughs> Wake up! Torenzo's <Yeah. laughs> boring us. Yeah. Put us. putting us to sleep. Wake up, quick! Um, 
Yeah, so, so six, that's that's six, kind of yeah. So so sixth place was in twenty eighteen. Twenty seventeen. Twenty seventeen. Yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, so that kind of was a was a kind of step in the right direction for me because I hadn't been able to perform as well as I would have liked to on the island. And and actually over Ironman distance, I'd been struggling, but. But that's kind of the one thing that's eluded me, and that's the one thing I'd really like to achieve by the end of my career is winning, winning the world championships. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think I can. I hope I can. But I, growing up, I always looked at triathlon as swimming, biking, and running, and I never really, uh, to a certain extent, didn't really differentiate between the different distances. So, um, I mean, I yeah, swim, bike, and run, ran, and it's not like you're only training five hours a week. You're still, even if you're training for the short stuff, you're still training 20 25 hours a week yeah. uh which will pay off in the ironman distance racing and and that's i think that's a mix well a mixture of that and the types of training i do is why i can kind of uh shimmy between the uh the half ironman and some of the shorter course races to to ironman yeah yeah neat what's the um so what is your because you had the the crash last last year and and has that really changed your philosophy on life <laughs> racing family uh, um yeah so i was knocked knocked uh it was what second of july 2018 i was uh yeah taking off my bike out riding and yeah kind of left with a big broken cheekbone a hole in my face and bleeding bleeding out on the side of the road um and yeah i remember waking up uh probably about 11 o'clock in the hospital so I was kind of in and out of consciousness between 2 and 11 o'clock um, and the the following day when I woke up I was like hey if, if ever you needed a reason to to find another another profession another like move on from triathlon this this is a pretty good reason and tell you what I didn't I didn't sit on that thought for very long I was like no I've still got unfinished business in this sport I love it I love the adventures I get to go on and the experiences I I get to experience along the way and I just I'm, I'm gonna gonna go for it a hundred percent and that's kind of when I okay okay cool uh, I'm almost almost dead but I want to race Kona in three months time and uh and I tried tried so hard to kind of get back on in shape and back on the start line for for the world champs last year but um and it may have been a little bit optimistic and and probably maybe a mistake in hindsight but it did, did keep me keep me in line and kept me moving forward every day which was the motivation I needed um, after the crash I guess my perspective has changed a little bit like I um, I mean just you, you realise how temperamental life can be like how fragile it can be so so there's a lot less training uh, outside on the road on the bike I'll do most of most of my rides during the week are on the, on the trainer on Zwift um, you just treasure every moment you can with your kid because you never know or your kids uh, you never know when you could be walking across the road and and someone can swerve and hit you. you yeah, know. it's all that kind of stuff. So just making the most of every day and and uh, yeah, trying to trying to live the best life you can and be the best role model you can for for your kids and other kids. Yeah, beautiful. Do you have a um, like a spiritual belief around around that at all? Do you have a like a, <laughs> a, a practice a, a, or a perspective? Because um, I think you mentioned I heard you say on one podcast like fate and knowing everything's kind of happening for the right reason or that sentiment is that ah, that, that definitely sits sits very well with me uh, the whole fate and everything's going to happen for a reason because hey, if you 
I mean, if, if you can't look at it like that, when things go badly or when bad things happen, it's really hard to justify that, that uh, or tell yourself that there is there is going to be an end to this and there is going things are going to change. So, uh, when I missed out on the Olympic Games in 2008, I kind of uh, that was probably the first big test for me. It was like you're not going to the Olympics, which has been a goal for the last eight years. What are you going to do now? And that's uh, actually won the half Ironman World Champs that year, and it was yeah, it was. So I kind of looked at that like, okay, well, I missed out on that, but I did achieve this, and, it, and the doors that opened were, were a lot more doors than what would have opened if I had gone to the Olympics. Uh, so it meant I didn't get the Olympic ring tattoo, which, which was a bit of a, bit of a bugger. But um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I, I, I am a strong believer in fate, and everything happens for a reason. And being left on the side of the road bleeding to death, uh, no idea what the reason for that is, but I. Um, I guess yeah, maybe it's going to be my perspective and uh, perspective on life, which maybe has shifted in a positive way, or uh, maybe it just meant I needed to have a little break and big yeah. things to come in the future. And because off the back of that, you came back with a couple of wins straight out in Australia as well. Like, um, <laughs> that was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> but I mean, without obviously, probably your expectations would have been the same, and um, but the. The body obviously had the muscle memory still, and the the fire was still there. Like, is there a particular part of the race or the training that you love? Is it the just being in contention or the um, seeing what how fast you can go? Or yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, I, I love the training because I don't know. I'm uh, I, yeah. When when I'm exercising and re- releasing endorphins, I. I'm a much more positive and, and nicer person to be around. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. quoted, quoted from my wife. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but I, I really like, I, probably more than anything, I like, I like setting myself a goal and, and working towards that goal. And, and last year it was, it was hard to set performance outcome goals because, I mean, I, I wasn't running until for probably four and a half months. Um, so it was hard to get, like going into my first race at the end of November. I'd been running for I think ten days before the race, and and it was hard to say okay I want to win this race, but I kind of went into it going okay I want to I want to achieve X and Y in the swim mm-hmm. and the bike, and I want to do my, my goal was to actually run a 120, so just under 120 for the half marathon, which 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 is solid, but I mean well out of contention for a for a competitive race. I mean generally you're running the guys are running to win a race you're uh, one hour ten for the half marathon, one hour twelve mm-hmm. for the half marathon. Um, so I, I did what I wanted to do on the, the swim and the bike. I was hoping to have got, gotten rid of the rest of the field and get off the bike with a decent lead, and, and who knows what my 120 half marathon would have given me. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, get, coming off the bike, there was another uh, Australian guy, Sam Appleton, with me, and he's, he's actually quite a, quite a good or a very good athlete. He had finished fourth at the World Champs earlier that year. Yeah. And, um, or the, yeah, the half Ironman World Champs. And... We started running, and I actually told him, I'm "Like, dude, just take it easy on me. Just, just help me, help me get down the road a little bit, and then uh, you can bugger off." <laughs> and, and it was, yeah, about uh, I was at six k's into the run. I could kind of, like, I just got the sense that he was, he was struggling. Like, he was breathing a bit harder, and, and, I went from being content with, kind of second and running a 120 to getting this, this scent of victory, and I just, uh, I pounced on it, and <laughs> there was, there was no holding back. Um, so it's, yeah, it's like that. When when I get racing, and I, if I can, if I get a whiff of uh, of of the, I mean, if my competitive side gets a whiff of, of what what I can do, it just grabs grabs hold and, and 
I have to roll with it and I quite I really like that especially when your body can respond and and give you what you're asking it for it's uh, it's something that doesn't happen every time you take to the start line but mm. when you can it's it's pretty good yeah that's that's beautiful are there, are there guys that um, really inspire you or or take you to a high because your coach is like an amazing athlete yeah. and I'm in it himself and then there's guys like Gomez and the um, oh, the, the UK brothers yeah yeah Brownleys uh, yeah. Brownleys and these guys are constantly like raising the game yeah and and obviously you're right at that level as well but even in other sports are there people you look to who are yeah uh, pushing well, boundaries well, well when I I mean yeah the, the sport in the last four or five years like the long distance side of it well the whole the whole sport when I mean Brownleys and Gomez started racing the short course stuff they, they took took that to a whole new level um, the long course stuff probably last four or five years uh, we've had the uh, likes of Jan Fredino a German athlete he's kind of stepped up, stepped up and um, he won the Olympics in 2008 mm. um, and just yeah kind of making a there's quite, been quite a big shift in, in how you need to operate to to be success to, yeah to be successful mm. and, and that's it's yeah it's, it's, it's been pretty motivating kind of seeing that and I got to train with Jan a couple for a couple of years and just seeing how he operates and knowing that I guess yeah if you do put everything on the line the same way these guys do that that you can achieve greatness um, when I first started in the sport it was I kind of looked at the likes of um, well at the time it was it was like Lance Armstrong yeah. uh, um, Lance Armstrong there was Tiger Woods um, yeah. Michael Jordan Michael Schumacher those were kind of the four guys who, who I idolised and uh, dreamt of kind of doing what they had done in their their respective sports and uh, and yeah I mean they they've done they've done an amazing job and I kind of I always I looking back now I'd hoped my trajectory through through the sport and stuff would have been a little little bit little bit better and a little bit easier but uh, those trials and tribulations I guess are what's making me the person I am today. Mm. Yeah, that's. Uh, well, I. I was really interested in the, um, how when the four-minute mile was broken and then suddenly a year yeah, after, yeah. you know, th- then everyone could do it and um, and the limitations we put on ourselves, like, subconsciously or society does. And then yeah. yeah I read that, the book Born to Run, how the, the all the running times in the world went down after the sport became professional. <laughs> I think there was... Um, uh, there was a, a run club that had in Boston that had like five guys that could run a sub 210 marathon or something and then yeah. after the sport went professional there was only a couple of guys in the whole of America that could do it yeah okay and um, oh jeez and it was real interesting and the, the, the theory was that when people stopped having as much fun and did it for the enjoyment of it that that they lost some energy or you know yeah yeah, uh, yeah. some of that spark that made yeah. them truly great sure. yeah you can kind of see um, that have you found that with like keeping it keeping it fun or keeping the the balance? Does the family do that for you, or is it, is it the mates, the camaraderie, or? Um, I definitely do like having training buddies, and like uh, last last year I got to train a lot with or a reasonable amount with my um, my coach Dan Plews, um, and the the family has has been awesome awesome addition because it kind of. Uh, I mean, yeah, the whole perspective on life is, is altered and you, you know what's really important and you know what, what makes you happy. Um, but I have found that when... And, it, and I guess it's different for everyone, but, yeah, if, if I operate at a, at a higher level, um, which is kind of more of a serious level, but if I can operate at that level, 
I tend to have a lot more fun. So it's kind of a, you operate more seriously, but you enjoy it more and you're smiling more. Um, and maybe that's because you're, you know, you know you're kind of ticking all the boxes that need to be ticked. So you can, you don't have that, that pressure when it comes to performing, like the, the big pressure of the, the question mark hanging over your performances to like, am I going to be good enough? Is, is what's going to happen in this race? You know, you know, you've ticked all the boxes and you know, when you get on the race, the race line, you just basically push play and everything takes care of itself. Yeah, what I remember, um, uh, Brendan Brazier is it the the vegan triathlete guy? Okay, can't remember his name exactly, but he he thought that the the thing that's kind of separated the amateurs from the pros was recovery. Yeah, like having the time to recover, you're not oh, maybe sure. working, managing so many other things. But is there anything else that you think differentiates guys who do take um, to the pro level versus you know serious? Amateurs. Yeah, well, I mean, the the recovery is one of probably one of the biggest things because because you want, I mean, for an athlete to be good, they got to be you got to be able to train hard, and you also have to be able to recover because the quicker you can recover, the quicker you can get the next hard training session done. Um, so, I'll if I'm training hard, I'll space my training out through the day, so I'll use all the sunlight hours in the day, <laughs> start swimming early, and then generally finish. Uh, I mean, I'll get a yeah, my last run will be start at four or five o'clock at night, and yeah. Um, so you're getting good recovery between sessions, um, and generally the, well, generally pretty much every day uh, get a nap. Like even if it's just a 40-minute nap, mm -hmm. uh, make sure you're having good good health when it comes to like sleep routines and um, so everything. Like recovery is is paramount, and my wife knows that. She'll kind of make sure that yeah. that I am that I do have time for for myself, time to kind of have that nap. Um, and the thing with sleeping well and good sleep health is that's when your body actually repairs and, and grows and kind of releases the, the human growth hormone into your body that helps you kind of get stronger and, and adapt. Um, so that's, that's one of the big things. Um, and then the other thing, trainability. So, so I guess that's a little bit on uh, talent and, and how, well you, how hard you can actually train when you go out there and absorb that training. And, and people who don't have as much talent maybe can't train as hard and and absorb that training as well as someone someone else and then there's also the i guess the head head part of it like when you when you're competing mm. do you rise up or do you stay the same or do you go down yeah. to what what you're capable of when you're training and and that's that's i think that's a big part of what makes the champions it's, we spoke about it a little bit earlier like uh the flow state so getting into getting into the flow state getting into the zone where uh it kind of feels like an out-of-body experience yeah the the sleep part I'm fascinated. I just um, been listening to this guy Matthew Walker who did all the sleep research and he showed if you're less than eight hours for ninety nine point nine percent of the population kind of thing. Yeah, I think less than eight or seven hours you st you can have about a twenty percent drop in your physical okay. performance and strength and and similar in your cognitive like your mental yeah, sharpness. Yeah, yeah. And he said it's the same as being like five or six hours sleep for. Pretty much everybody is like being drunk, uh, <laughs> drunk and high kind of thing. Um, but the amount of athletes I thought of who probably would be getting less than that and compromising, like it's the biggest performance enhancer there is, oh. and it's free. Yeah, and it's yeah. like, and I know Pete. I think Pete Sampras used to request his rooms to be at this perfect temperature. Okay. And he booked the same hotel room yeah, and like yeah. had this whole sleep pre-event routine. And I mean, what do you? 
I don't, you might not be that extreme, but what, is there something you do? No, so, uh, yeah, we, so we've got pretty good, like, I mean, well, first of all, with, with our kids, that was, that was the first thing for us because my, my wife, she loves sleep almost, well, probably more than I do. Um, and we always wanted to kind of make sure we, we, we set that up so our kids had good habits and they didn't kind of get into bad sleeping habits. And we were really fortunate with our son. Um, he's, he sleeps well. He slept through the night very early on. Our daughter, who's just over two, she's still giving us, giving us a hard time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, kind of like we, we, I guess early on we had to make that decision do... Um, do we want it like do we, did we want our kid to or did my wife want want, want the kids to sleep in bed with her and and have those cuddles and mm. kind of feel close or was it more important for us and and did we kind of make the decision that that's going to be more important for a family dynamics for them to get into good sleeping habits that everyone can have a good night's sleep and so so that's the road we went down uh so fortunately we don't have kids sleeping in our bed and kicking me out of bed <laughs> in the morning um We've got this clock for my son that he's, he's started uh, the last six months. He's realized, oh, when he wakes up, he can come wake mum and dad up. But now we're like, no, 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 here's a clock. There's a, there's a star on it. You have to wait for the star to turn to a son before he can come wake us up. Thank you very much. Um, but, yeah, so, so we've got, like, I mean, the best mattress. So we've got Tempur-Pedic mattresses. Yeah. So those, I mean, just made, like, th- those help take the pressure points away and, and yeah. help with recovery. Uh, my routine generally at nighttime will be... Um, uh, a cup of tea, um, kind of getting into a uh, bit of mushroom, mushroom type tea. Um, oh, I need like the quarter sips and yeah. the, the reishi and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I have some reishi before I go to yeah. sleep. Um, I actually generally melatonin I'm on and off with. Um, at the moment, I've been quite quite regular on the melatonin, just haven't been sleeping so well. So, yeah. so I've just been trying to do more as much as I can to try and kind of get myself into that deep sleep. Yeah. Um, Shakti mat, always. Oh, <laughs> Shakti, Shakti, Shakti as well. Before, nice. <laughs> before I go to sleep, yeah. Um, and yeah, and, I mean, and if I'm str- like if I'm not sleeping so well, I'll make sure I kind of have a shower and unwind a little bit, little bit more, uh, more vigilant to kind of get away from screen time before sleep. But, mm. but generally, my wife and I'll lie in bed and uh, we'll play um, some word games or something on the <laughs> phone for five minutes, and then check the Wi-Fi off and turn yeah. our phones on a flight mode and uh, crash out. And oh, cool. yeah. That's neat. The, um, so I got the sleep ring and it measures all your sleep to them. Oh, yeah, yeah, in, yeah. Uh, You know, like too much blue light at night or, you know, you, you have alcohol or something that might yeah. disrupt the, the whole rhythm. Like often it shows I've been too hot. You know, the temperature in summer gets too hot and so yeah. your body can't yeah, yeah. get into the deep sleep. But um, are there any other recovery tools you use? Like, do you... Like, uh, there's people doing like cryo chambers now and uh, wearing you know those compression boots and yeah. So I got things. the um, so generally I have my my afternoon nap. I'll chuck my, I've got a pair of Normatex which are compression boots, so basically yeah. compression socks, next level. Yeah. Um, so I always sleep with them, or nap with them on. Um, like protein sh- protein shakes are always quite quite important. Uh, yeah. So especially when you're training hard, getting getting into a good protein shake mm. quite quickly after training. Um, and then there's the um, just eating well. My wife and I like we try and eat really well, really clean and healthy. Um, what else do we do? Um, oh, and so I'm yeah working with this uh, naturopath clinic called <coughs> excuse me uh, Global Health Clinics, and yeah they have a hyperbaric chamber. So sometimes jump oh, in yeah. there. Um, they have a hocat, which is like a sauna thing with with extra ozone that kind of gets pumped around. Um, yeah, so just 
it's hard because when you got a young family and, and busy lifestyle, it's hard to kind of find the time to implement everything. So you just try find find the stuff that works and where you can where you can shuffle things in and uh, make make the most of it because it does it does impact your your ability to perform at the end of the day. Uh, another thing is I'm, I I get physio like physio massage types. Well, yeah, physio massage stuff uh, twice a week generally um, when I'm training. And training is really full on. We'll go like three times a week, and that will take more precedent over over some of the other recovery mm. modalities we use. That's, you almost need a category, a parent category, in the, in the <laughs> triathlon, like first parent home. Yeah, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was running in uh, when was it, 2017, and we were running the last 10k's. I was next to a South African guy James Cunema, and we were running together. And, I thought I had the upper hand on him. I'd caught him down in the energy lab, and I was like, "Yeah, I swear I got the upper hand on him." But yeah, he like I tended, I kind of started to fade a little bit, and he kind of pepped up. But I actually said to him, I'm like, because his wife was pregnant, and we already already had our yeah. two kids, and I'm like, "Mate, you just you're just lucky you haven't had your baby yet. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd be in a world of hurt right now." Oh, <laughs> uh, that's amazing. Um, it's interesting. There's a there's a Tom Brady series. Tom Brady, like the NFL yeah, yeah, quarterback, because yeah. he's in his I think he's like his forties or something yeah. now, like miles older than anyone yeah, else. Yeah, he's, he's been around. And the Facebook series, he had this trainer, and he'd be getting like body work after every session. He, yeah. His diet was so clean. He was yeah. doing rather than heavy weights, he was doing all this resistant band kind of plyometric stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, like really explosive body weight. And, um, and his recovery, and, and he was like getting better, and he felt fitter and faster and yeah. stronger oh, than he did in his 20s. And it was, um, and I just thought it was amazing. We're actually talking about uh, Joseph Parker was on Art Green's podcast and talking about how he let himself go in the off season and he had put on 20 yeah. kilos and yeah. eat poor and then try and get himself back up. And then, and then you get someone like Tom Brady who's like getting better. Yeah, yeah. And is, Forty. Have you noticed that, like, yeah. you've got more appreciative and more? Yeah. Well, you, you you know what works for you and what what doesn't, um, and then you also kind of make that more conscious effort to eat healthy, live a yeah. more healthy life. Um, like I said, I won't go snowboarding or skateboarding because of the risk of doing something stupid. Um, and yeah, and that that whole gym stuff. So I've been working a lot the last six months um, with the guy Greg Payne, and we do yeah all that all that gym. Uh, not not so much weights, but like the the core, um, the core stability, uh, and just yeah, general functional strength. Um, and I, I do find that that the platform that that creates is is a really good platform for performing well um, because you have a stable base. You you you're kind of working off a stable base, um, and so you can perform better. And also the risk of injury is a lot less as well. Yeah. yeah. But do you have a like a favorite place you love you love to train, or because um, we we're talking about Noosa before, but how great you know parts of Europe are and the yeah. culture and I've, uh, I've trained up in Girona in Spain. Yeah, um, yeah, couple like couple uh, couple seasons up there, and uh, to ride on roads where the cars will just sit behind you for half an hour <laughs> and just yeah, they're okay with it. Uh, yeah, and just nice smooth roads as well. Don't get that yeah. in Auckland. <laughs> yeah, the uh, culture and cycling in New Zealand—it's pretty new and. Yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm hoping, hoping we can kind of shift that and get it in a more positive way, rather than it just seems to be declining every year. 
Um, I mean, it's crazy when you I can go training in LA and feel safer safer on the roads in LA than than I do riding around my hometown in Auckland. It's uh, yeah. got to kind of question what's going on. Yeah, there's a I was reading David Bar, uh, Brian's book. He's a big musician, but he took a traveling like a folding bike everywhere he went to play. Okay, yeah, and so he'd unpack it and like bike out of his hotel. But he said there was like a, a community and a connection that you know like a car puts up four walls around you and people are quite angry and they're you know yeah you get on a bike and you're you can wave to someone you can stop and say hi you get to you're moving at like a human speed yeah true and um and i know a lot of the guys that push for the bike culture here showed how when you you just put motorways in the community starts to suffer in the shops you know there's not the foot traffic and it's dangerous to go on the streets and people don't cycle and they walk and it gets and then you build up even bigger fences and it creates this yeah, true. real yeah, separation. Like that, yeah. and I always loved that about Europe and those cultures where everyone biked and walked. and Yeah, yeah, little small towns and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is a shame. And when you say when you put it like that, you can kind of understand why. And, and I mean, in this day and age as well, it's, it seems like, I mean, life is just, and yeah, life is so much busier. You've yeah. got so much more stuff you need to get done and, and uh, it's just hard. And I guess it's hard to... Just slow down for a minute and think. I okay, just wait for one second I'm not, and not kill the cyclist. Like <laughs> I'm not going to be late for yeah. my next next meeting. And uh, it's, it's definitely got to work work both ways. I mean, there's some people who ride bikes who just take the piss out of uh, yeah. out of road rules. And I mean, we kind of we all need to work together. We all need to have respect for each other. And uh, I mean, we live in a pretty pretty amazing country. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I've been around the world, seen some seen some pretty cool places, but and I, I, I mean, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that that New Zealand is the place I want to be. This is this is the best country in the world, so we're all pretty lucky to have it. So we should share it and uh, make it prosperous together. Yeah, that's a, be- <laughs> that's a beautiful, beautiful message. You're not running for mayor. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, Jacinda, you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> your seat's safe. <laughs> and um, and on the on the like tech front, I, I mean. You kind of have often like two sides of triathletes or guys that get super into tech and guys who are quite natural and those people in between. But what what tech stuff do you enjoy at the moment? Because is that Zwift? The Zwift, yeah. Would you like train online? Like yeah, uh, which is amazing. And is there anything else that's really like caught your attention or that you enjoy? Well, um, well, it's really funny. Like if I I, I trained a lot with Chris McCormack, who was an Aussie mm. guy, who won uh, Ironman World Champs a couple of times. Um, and he, he would never use a heart rate monitor, power meter, or anything. Like he would just go out, and most of the time he wouldn't even have a stopwatch on. He would, yeah, kind of just check the time before he left, and check the time when he got home, and that was his training. And and in this day and age, like we, I mean, we're not when most, well, pretty much all professional tri- professional athletes have a power meter on their bike so they can measure how how much power they're they're putting out and their intensity. Heart rate monitors, kind of everyone has a heart rate monitor, and. Um, so you can kind of mo- yeah monitor monitor your progression, periodize your training, and so on and so forth through through those things. So so that was interesting to have that like Chris as a, as one complete extreme of the yeah. spectrum. I think I'm pretty close to the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> um, along with my coach, we kind of we tr- like to get as much data as we can. Um, so yeah, biking always at power uh, and heart rate. Um, speed's more of like an out- outcome thing that just happens. It's really hard to kind of do anything with speed, especially yeah. in this country where the roads are quite slow. Yeah. Um, 
running um, again uh, kind of slowly integrating power into that just as that's becoming more reliable to measure yeah. um, and heart rate and speed a little bit more more so um, and then yeah Zwift is a big thing for me kind of after my accident I kind of uh, the wife didn't want me going outside for, for too much training so I've been riding a lot on Zwift which is like a virtual world uh, you ride against everyone else around the world who's who's on Zwift at that time. Um, and they've also started to kind of integrate a running platform there so so you can kind of do the same thing in a, in a running virtual world, which is also quite fun. Takes a bit of the mental load off running on a treadmill. Yeah. Um, other things we measure, um, so HRV, which is heart rate variability. Um, that kind so of that's measures. a big indicator of your level of stress and recovery. Yeah, and like the it? load on your parasympathetic mm-hmm. uh, nervous system. So, so that's quite an interesting one. Um, yeah, my coach, he did his uh, PhD in, in like wow. heart rate variability, so he kind of has a pretty good understanding of it. Um, and um, generally, like, morning uh, morning blood glucose uh, readings and then post-training uh, glucose and ketone numbers just to kind of see where where those, those things are at. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, some of the science is amazing, but I've listened to that heart rate variability and yeah you can like see how you recovered the night before and what kind of training you should do the next day and yeah it sounds like your coach would be an interesting guy to <laughs> talk about that yeah yeah no dan dan knows he's he knows his stuff so it's pretty good yeah yeah cool um i'll oh, just wrapping it up always like to get one last message and get it on uh on the camera too if that's all right <laughs> um if there's if if you had one like piece of advice, could just be life advice, could be sport related. Um, is there anything you'd you'd just love to pass on to to the world? Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, this is something that I'm kind of, especially uh, at the moment, things aren't, aren't the, the year hasn't kind of gone the way I would like to like for it to have gone. It's been a little little bit of a rough patch, but um, the one thing that I'm kind of coping with and that's helping me cope with things well at the moment is life's pretty good like be grateful for what you have and, and enjoy the people that are around you and uh and who knows what what you're capable of at the end of the day beautiful <laughs> oh man love that gratitude <laughs> and um beautiful place to end and thanks good. so much for your time and thanks Doug. good to catch uh, up man probably the coldest noisiest podcast i've done <laughs> uh, <laughs> you got yeah. like We've got some beautiful mics here. Yeah, we've got, <laughs> got the mics picking up the, the dishes and the, I mean, the best food in town, but um, yeah, a little yeah. bit noisier today at Orphan's Kitchen. But yeah, yeah I mean, love, love your energy and, and what you're doing. It's always inspiring to see a Kiwi uh, on yeah. the world stage. So grateful for you. Go New Zealand. Zo. <laughs> Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it, brother. <laughs> wow, what an episode. What did you think? That's not a rhetorical question. You can answer that. Leave a comment leave a review shout out on the social hashtag dug it would love to hear from you just so grateful for all the listeners out there and for people like Terenzo just so grateful to see Terenzo back on the bike and inspiring and and doing what he loves running swimming loving with his family just pumped on life I'm just so grateful in the moment and uh, and grateful for the listeners so hopefully you got plenty out of it and um sign up for the email list too if uh, you enjoyed the episode i'm going to be sharing plenty more great podcasts and other podcasts i'm listening to as well as latest books events giveaways so much more 
uh, that would be greatly appreciated. You can do that at dugit.nz. And um, I think that's about it. Till next time. Think less, experience more. Hope you dug it. Go get after it.